Hey everyone, welcome to First Time Outdoors podcast episode 7. In this episode we're going to be talking about breaking down barriers that uh, might be present for new bow hunters or deer hunters in general that do not have access to their own property to hunt. So finding things like uh, access to private land, so asking permission to landowners for access to their property, finding public land and what sorts of things you're going to be looking for in that public land that leads you to believe that there's uh, a good potential to harvest a deer, and other opportunities that might be available presented by maybe the parks, as well as other lottery hunts that the DNR puts on that allow you access for uh, shortened periods of time for the season. So there's a lot of places out there that you can hunt that aren't privately owned by people. So stay tuned with us as we uh, share those ideas. All right, welcome back to First Time Outdoors. Uh, today is October 22nd, and it's Tuesday. Uh, just before starting the episode, Mike showed up, and I was doing the finishing touches on some of my gear for this weekend. We got a, a really fun hunt that we're headed to up north in uh, central Minnesota, north central Minnesota. And uh, yeah, getting pumped. Yeah, this is the one of my favorite times of the year. Probably uh, top three favorite weekends of the entire year. End of October is the second weekend of the Camp Ripley archery hunt. Um, so for those of you that don't know, Camp Ripley is a military base in central Minnesota. And yeah, north central Minnesota, close to Brainerd, south of Brainerd, north of Little Falls on Highway 10. It's about 53,000 acres of land, a lot of which is uh, like oak forest. And uh, they have a lot of deer mm -hmm. in that area, and they need some help getting them out of there. And uh, and the reason for that is they interfere with training, military training. So if they're doing uh, firearms training or artillery training or tank driving tanks, it's it's common for deer to be in the way or getting onto their airstrips or um, really just becoming a nuisance and. The beauty of it is that this land is extremely fertile. It's right on the Mississippi River. And so the bucks in this property have awesome genetics. Yeah. So it's it's a really good chance at finding and seeing and hopefully harvesting potentially the biggest buck of your lifetime. Yeah. Um, it's historically been known as like a, one of the top spots in Minnesota for sort of a public land different little like kind of a lottery type hunt that's that's how you get in you apply from a lottery um and i think in the past it's been a little harder to get into these days it seems to be um maybe i don't know how many extra tags there are after they close the, the lottery but uh you know you can pretty much assume to get in i think at this point at this i think point, that's fair yeah. to say that uh, once you apply you can get in um so that's going to be kind of uh something we focus on today uh, we want to talk about that hunt specifically, and we'll get to that later. But uh, we, more generally, we want to kind of talk about these different opportunities, these interesting hunts that are available to people, um, put on often by the state, or uh, just other access points, how to find permission on property. Um, because for myself, and I think Mike uh, as well, I can speak for you in, in yeah. some ways, the, the lack of ability to find land is a big inhibitor for why people might struggle to get out uh, outdoors and, and hunt and fish and, and really explore. And uh, that was the, definitely the case for me. Like my family doesn't really have any land uh, anywhere, especially my immediate family. So finding a place to, to actually go do this um, was a big deal. I mean, it's, it's like either you find it or you don't. Yeah. Um, and yeah, while we have public lands, there are some other great opportunities like this Camp Ripley hunt. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's going to be the kind of the focus of today's episode is going to be kind of talking about permission and public lands and, you know, unique hunting opportunities. So, um, we'll get back to camp Ripley later on in the episode, but, uh, first I think we should talk about permission. Yeah. Getting um, access to private land. Yeah. Private land. That's how a lot of people do it. A lot of people have 
family land, aunts, uncles, cousins, etc. Go down the list. Yeah. Um, they get that's where they do their hunting is on their own land or land in the family. Yeah. Um, but for people like myself who don't, and yourself who don't really have that land, mm-hmm. um, there's ways to get around that. There so. are definitely ways to get around it. So for me, uh, for example, um, I have an uncle that uh, he had owned like 50 acres. He now owns about 80 on a different section of land he had moved. But um, that's where I did most of my hunting was on his property. And I relied on his permission in order for me to have a spot to hunt. Um, it, it wasn't like the greatest property ever, and there's certainly deer on it, and I did end up getting a couple there over the years. Um, but it wasn't a place where I felt any sort of responsibility for. I wanted somewhere that I could like get to know it, maybe trim the buckthorn, plant a food plot, put up cameras, um, and uh, be more of a, I guess, a steward to that area instead of just a visitor. And uh, since that property is no longer available to me, it became apparent that I need to find some other places. Because even though it's my uncle and he always was more than gracious in letting me hunt there and giving me permission every year, uh, there's still other people that were kind of clamoring for it because mm. it was our only in the family of bow hunters, 40 acres for, you know, let's say four or five, six people that want access to it. It becomes kind of a, I don't know, it, it becomes kind of competitive okay. for who's in there and who's getting the one spot and, um, who's going on what day. And sure. You know, and I didn't want it to become any sort of battleground. Right. So I just wanted to find something. For my own. And so this last year, I decided to ask permission uh, with a lady that I know who lives on a farm in western Wisconsin. Beautiful chunk of land. I'd, I'd been there a few times as a, as a guide for with a bunch of students of mine. Mm. We'd go out there and help her farm. It's a CSA. And... That means that basically people can put in money towards that farm and then they get a share of the crops that come out of it. So depending on how much money you put in, you get X amount of zucchinis, corn, whatever coming out. And so I'd take students there and we'd help harvest those crops. And I'd always been kind of eyeing it up because we're always there in the fall. It's hard to be on a chunk of property like that and not imagine Mm -hmm. being up in a tree there. So this last summer, I finally just asked for permission. And there's a, I think one of the things I want to make sure we talk about is that there's, I think there's a right and a wrong way of going about getting permission. And by that, I mean a way that you're going to be more successful um, in getting that permission because uh, being turned down is a definite option. Yeah. From landowners, right? Yep. So I want to make sure that we cover how to how to go about it the right way. Mm-hmm. So So what did you do to uh ensure that like what are yeah, what was what was your right way? Um what were the steps that you took to make sure that you were able to get that permission uh to hunt that land? Obviously, I think you had a relationship with the woman at some capacity. She knew who you were. Uh you had history with her. Mm-hmm. So that helps, right? Yeah, that certainly was an advantage. And I wouldn't say I did it the right way, but it was, it worked. Yeah, the successful way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I guess the way I did it was I just, I sent her a, a Facebook message. Mm. Uh, I didn't have her phone number. Um, if I if I didn't have her Facebook, if I wasn't friends with her on Facebook, I could have found her uh, on any sort of hunting app. We talked about Onyx last week, but there's other apps out there that you can use to find the landowner information and yep. then get in contact with them. So you could do it that way as well. But because I had Facebook and I was uh, connected with her on Facebook, I sent her a message and just said, hey, I would, I would really love the opportunity to hunt your property. I'm not sure if you allow any other hunters to go in there. But um, here's who I am. Here's where my ethics are with hunting. 
and I listed out a few things, you know, I've got a hundred percent recovery rate. I've never shot a deer and not found it. Um, I take ethical shots. I won't shoot anything that's further away than 30 yards. I just laid out all these different parameters. Here's, here's all this list of who I am as a hunter, what I believe and basically who I am as a person. Yeah. Just to let her get to know me a little bit. I know we had a personal relationship, but I think that just that reminder of like, you know, you're not just letting somebody in here to like sling arrows everywhere and maim your deer. And so for the first timers out there, there, there might be people listening that have never hunted. Yeah. If they don't have a hunting history that they can say that they only take certain shots and they've only, they've never lost a deer and things like what, you know, what would you recommend that they focus on? It's making that pitch if, if hunting is not something they can fall back on. Yeah, great question. I think I would, I would really reiterate the fact that you are new and that this is something that you've really wanted to try. Mm-hmm. You're interested in getting into hunting and then say the reasons why you're interested in getting into hunting and what specifically that parcel of land offers to you and then what you can offer to it. Or to the landowner specifically. So one of the things that I proposed to the landowner was that knowing that it's a CSA, I said, I'd be happy to help you harvest crops. I'd be happy to help clear buckthorn if you got it. I'd be happy to help just keep an eye on the property for you Mm -hmm. or um, give you as much meat from the harvested deer as you want. Just to make sure that, you know, I'm not just giving the impression that I'm taking advantage of the situation. Yeah. And also making sure if you're new or just anybody asking permission on a chunk of land, if they're kind of maybe on the fence, um, you certainly don't want to be pushy. But there's probably a few things that you could bring to the table that say, like, you know, what those little things that could turn the, turn the, the no to a yes or the maybe to a yes. And I think saying things like if I was to access this property, where would you want me to park? Or are there any particular places that you don't, you wouldn't want me to be? Mm -hmm. Or, um, how do you feel about trimming shooting lanes? So cutting tree limbs down, how do you feel about it? One of the things I asked the landowner when we were walking the property was, how do you feel about screwing steps? Because for some people, they don't want things left permanently in there or any sort of damage left behind. So there's all these different things that you can have kind of in your back pocket of um, kind of maybe what sets you aside. Because it's, it's like an interview. Mm-hmm. kind of want to have like, here's here's what sets me apart from other people. And why you should choose me to hunt there. You want to show them that you care. Yeah. So you've already thought about all of their concerns. You know, you've, you've already thought about, first and foremost, the animal. Like, in terms of you're not going to... You, you can show them that you're proficient. That you're not going to uh, injure them, like you mentioned before. Uh, you're going to take care of the trees on their property. Uh, you're not going to drive on a wet, muddy trail and create a rutted out you know, path to get back into some part of their field with your truck, like yeah. all those things you, you're going to, you've already thought about all their concerns. I think that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah um, put yourself in the landowner's shoes because they don't, they don't have to say yes to you. So what, if you were that landowner, what would you want yep. from somebody else? How do you make it like pretty painless for them? Right. Um, I've also heard other suggestions, um, you know, if it is your first time, you maybe don't have any experience off, you know, maybe you have to take a year to grow into it and you could, you know, ask if you could go squirrel hunting yeah, or rabbit hunting, or maybe we could just go hike on your property or something. Like, I don't know how mm-hmm. simple you want to make it, but you may not get to go hunt deer the first year, but getting a foot in the door show and letting them see the fact that you treat their land well and that yeah. you are safe and courteous and you check in 
before and after you're on their property, those sorts of things, giving them a chance to kind of feel you out. That could lead to that yes down the road as well. And yeah, maybe one year you don't quite have it yet, but you know, play the long game. The years go by quick and then all of a sudden maybe you've got a great property. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a distinct advantage to knowing the person. And sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of ways to find chunks of property. I mean, one way to, to find property, private land to hunt would be just to drive around and like, oh my gosh, look at all the deer standing in this field. Yep. Your likelihood of, uh, getting permission on that land declines, I think, because one, you haven't established any sort of relationship. So that's where it becomes really important to be able to pitch who you are very well. But in Minnesota in particular, most landowners know somebody that hunts and they already have access to that property. Yep. So that's the one thing I've heard all the time when I've gone like door to door. It's like, yep, my brother-in-law hunts this property and, you know, I'd love to let you, but he's kind of got it. <laughs> Take it up with him. Yeah. yeah. So, and I don't, you know, I'm not going to push on that. I'll just go find something else. So you can go door to door, but knowing somebody that knows somebody or yep. networking into something like that is going to pay off. Yep. I know my, um, my uncle Carrie, who I've mentioned before as being my hunting mentor, has done things just as simple as looking at plot maps and then calling, just making phone call after phone call yep. after phone call, just to blindly to these landowners and asking permission. And, you know, if maybe the success rate is 5%, but you call 20 people, yep. you get one. Yep. You're good. You know? Yeah, exactly. And then... For him, it's worked out well that he got permission on one chunk and then the adjacent properties because they saw him in there and hmm. knew who he was and stuff. It has expanded from, let's say, 40 acres to now he's got 200. Wow. I'm not sure what it is, but you know the adjacent properties now he can get into. Yep. So that's definitely a way to go too. That's awesome. Um, yeah, for me, I, I had permission um, for a time. Um, it was a woman that I didn't, who I didn't know she was a neighbor, but, um, was widowed and just kind of kept to herself and I never really knew her. Um, but kind of a, a blending of what you just said there, which is me looking for places to go. Uh, this is, you know, essentially across the street from my folks house, um, in the woods. And it was just like, man, that property looks great. I see deer around my neighborhood all the time. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be great to find a place to hunt right by my parents' house? And uh, just decided one day that I was going to walk down the street and knock on the door. Um, and it was just kind of, you know, it's like, it's kind of intimidating in some ways, yeah. even though it's just a uh, sweet old la- uh, older lady mm-hmm. that like, you know, would love to have someone come talk to her. But <laughs> yeah. it's still like, you feel like you're asking something of her and uh, maybe you don't want to scare her or you know, all that stuff is just kind of like, it's odd to go knock on someone's door and say, Hey, can I come onto your property? And, Mm -hmm. um, anyway, that was a really great experience. Um, just cause it, it did push me a little bit, um, in some, in some ways. And basically I just kind of tried to play the, Hey, I'm, I'm a, a local kid here that lives right next to you. And, I'm just getting into it. Um, I played up the fact that it was archery hunting because I think that was a big question she had right away, which yeah. is even though her, her husband had hunted, um, she was you know, interested in the fact that I was not going to be shooting guns on her land. Yeah. I think that was kind of like a black and white issue for her, yeah. like, which I think, you know. Um, I think that's really common. Yeah, it would be common for a lot of people mm-hmm. that they just, it's a lot safer. So they, a lot of the concerns go out of, you know, they don't have to think about those things. Um, and then essentially she invited me in after, uh, talking and I kind of got a yes from her and we ended up talking for like an hour, hour and a half, uh, just chatting and just giving her a little bit of company and like spending some time with her. And I was like, okay, this is really nice. And this is how these things develop. You want to be actually, uh, friendly and kind of be a friend, be accountable. And all the things you said, like I was offering to watch the property for her. I mean, she hadn't been back there in quite some time. She had no 
uh, her her son was out of town. Uh, he lived out of state, and just kind of like yeah, she had about forty acres and just never used it, never uh, had anybody there. So mm-hmm. she looked at me as like, oh, this would be great if you could keep an eye on it. Yeah. And I found immediately that she wanted things out of me, just like I wanted things out of out of her right. property. So um, actually worked out well, just as a anecdote. Yep. That we found signs of poaching on yep. that property. Absolutely. So yep. So it, it worked out. Yeah. That I think I got that permission that summer, and we. No, it wasn't summer. It must have been fall, fall or winter. Mm-hmm. It was fall. Mi- we kind of missed that season. Yep. But, um, cause then we turkey hunted, uh, that following spring. And when we were turkey hunting, we just saw, you know, deer sign everywhere mm-hmm. that, and over that winter and too. turkeys everywhere. Uh, and then we found, yeah, we found a ladder stand and, uh, a deer skull with antlers on it and where it had been obviously cut off. Yeah. It was like right next to the stand. Yeah. Um, so definitely somebody poaching, um, some, some things with the fence and some trees. There was some fishy activity going on with some of her trees on her property, and mm-hmm. yeah, definitely people like taking advantage of this yeah. this piece of woods. Um, so that was that was something that they were kind of happy that we were out and finding and being yeah. a steward of her property for. Her, so, yeah. um, unfortunately, that access has. Um, yeah, it's, expired. It's, I guess. Things have changed in yeah. that regard. So, um, which happens. I mean, it was nice to have for the moment. We never really got. I never really got to hunt it um, in the way that I wanted, but it was a really great learning experience. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of kicking myself that I haven't continued to do that because it's like it doesn't cost you anything to pick yeah. up a phone call, pick up a phone, or send an email, or you know, like my mom is just she she knows everybody in town. Yeah. She knows everybody and all their stories and who's who and, Oh, that's so-and-so's sister and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I want to like send her to work for me and like, you know, <laughs> yeah. go, go yeah. talk to people and say, Hey, my son wants to hunt. And, yeah. uh, just cause like you said, knowing people or friends of friends, finding those people in those places where, where there aren't hunters already and they have trust and mm-hmm. that goes a long way. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say, once you have the permission, is maintaining consistent communication. So letting the landowner know when you're going in, coming out. Um, if you're seeing uh, evidence of people trespassing or poaching um, on the land that I got permission, I found a trail camera that didn't belong to me. And just sending an email like, do you know who this belongs to? If so, um, I'll leave it. If not, you know. Let's talk about maybe whose this might be and uh, figure out a plan to keep people off your property. Because um, I think if, if people will push boundaries, literally, if they see that nobody's in there often, they're like, well, I'm not going to get caught. Nobody's ever back there. And it becomes an advantage for the landowner to have visible foot traffic from people that have access to that property um, legally. So... Um, So, yeah, and I think the other thing that I'll say is that it's important to ask for permission if you're going door to door to dress nicely. Mm -hmm. And. But not uh, too nicely, right? Isn't there like a a fine line where you don't want to be like you're going to a business meet, you know, like an interview, but don't show up in grubby clothes? Yeah. Like, I think there's a fine line to walk there. For me, like a pair of jeans and a t shirt and a baseball cap is just fine. Mm hmm. and then speaking clearly and not swearing and um, using respectful language, I think is really important. What time of day too. do you would you recommend if you're going to knock door to door? That's got to matter. That's right? a good question. Probably right after dinner time. Like I wouldn't be knocking. It's hard to tell sometimes what everybody kind of eats dinner diff- at different times. Yeah, you know, so probably not between like five and seven. But like that 7.30. Maybe like right at 7, 7.30. 7.30, 8 o'clock. I think that's a good time because people are starting to like settle down and put on their favorite TV show or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. I never thought of that, but it's definitely a conscious thing. Yeah. People, yeah, yeah. people would get weirded out if it's 
there's a certain points of the day where it's like people aren't going to answer the door. Right. Yeah. You know. And we could have a, another thing. You could have a form letter just written out, you know, and give them something to leave with. Like, here's who I am. Here's all these things that I already listed out. Here's my phone number. If it's still a no, you know, if it's a no, just take this and then leave it with them. And maybe they look at it that later that day and we go, eh, maybe. Maybe we give them a call. Oh, I see. So you're saying bring like, a letter. Like a brochure, with, you know. Don't, like, don't drop it off uh, without, say, without meeting them. You want mm-hmm. to meet them. Maybe they give you a no, and then you hand them a letter. Yeah, I see. Because yep. I was understanding it to be like drop it in a mailbox, right. and I'm like thinking that they wouldn't yeah. probably call that number. No, no, I'm saying yeah, exactly. So you're talking to somebody, and they're still on the fence. And if you have something to leave with them, like you know, maybe it's got your picture on it, and your phone number, and then all these things like that you mentioned before. And say, you know, maybe if you think about it more, give me a call, or if there's anybody else that you might know, feel free to pass this information on to them. That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, I got to get to work. <laughs> yeah, start writing that up. Start taking some some pictures. Yep. Um, yeah, so one, we sometimes got to share bloopers, stories. And I think the, the the place that I've done this the most is pheasant hunting. You know, I'll be out western Minnesota and be hunting public land and then all of a sudden seeing all these pheasants dumping into this private property and then going to ask the landowner for permission. And that requires you to knock on doors. So one of the stories that my dad always tells is when he was younger, you know, young, maybe mid twenties, he and his friend Scott were uh, driving around going door to door, asking some farmers for permission to hunt their property for pheasants and they're trading you know, it's your turn to go. If you get a no, then you drive to the next place. Then you switch. Then the next person goes. So this time it ended up being um, my dad's friend Scott's turn to go to knock on the door and ask for permission. And it was early morning. And so my dad's sitting in the truck and watches the guy walk up to the door. And somebody answers the door. It's, you know, see the light of the door opening and they're talking. And Scott comes back and he's just beat red. And laughing and laughing and laughing. And I was like, what? What happened? Like, do we have permission? He's like, well, yes. But I've never been more embarrassed in my entire life. And I was like, oh, man, what happened? And so what happened was, as Scott put it, because uh, it was early morning, the, like the most beautiful woman answered the door. And she was wearing like a nightgown. <laughs> and he was like completely thrown off by this. He was expecting to see some farmer. Yeah. Some, you know, some crotchety old guy. So this beautiful woman answers the door. Farmer's he, daughter, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and got tongue tied. And so instead of asking to hunt her corn, I guess the nice way of putting this without <laughs> being vulgar is that he switched the C. Mm. on corn and put it on the front of hunt <laughs> and so instead asked to blank her horn <laughs> and so they shared a they shared an awkward moment of like shy embarrassment and then he kind of bashfully kind of kicked rocks down the sidewalk as he walked away it's all too bad she didn't let him in <laughs> yeah, exactly. but they got permission to hunt the corn that's so Um, funny so it's really easy to uh like you said before it's easy to be intimidated in those sorts of situations yep but the worst somebody's gonna say is no Mm -hmm. yep so once you get used to that i'm sure it gets easier so the next way of obtaining some hunting land is public land yep which can pose its own set of challenges um and those challenges being, well, first finding it where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can find that on like the DNR website, Minnesota DNR, if you're in Minnesota. You can find where those public um, parcels of land are. And I think the other uh, challenge is that you run into other people. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's a little bit of competition for good spots or... Um, but I'll say you can run into other people. Yeah. And I, I've been out like a yeah. number of times and not seen anybody. Depends on what you're doing. But mm-hmm. I mean, 
right. it's pretty cool to be out in like these bigger areas and not see anybody yeah. and it's like it does feel like it's your land um, yeah i think the better way for me of phrasing that would be there's the idea that yeah. you're gonna run into people yep because it's like oh everybody has access to this so therefore i'm gonna run into everybody yeah which isn't necessarily true well it, produ- it produces an anxiety that's just not there for land that you have access to or own yeah. um when i go fly fishing um <laughs> i can't tell you every morning that i get in the, my vehicle and start heading to the stream i'm in like a panic because i don't want somebody else to be there it's like this anxiety it's a total yeah. like gotta get up super early and gotta get you know speeding to the stream Mm -hmm. to be the first car there because if someone's there then you know my all my day's plans are Mm -hmm. the serenity is lost yeah yeah and yeah exactly when i see you know if there is a vehicle there it's in the case of fly fishing it's like well did they go downstream or up and then you have to make a gamble Mm -hmm. and then you're kind of looking over your shoulder all day going am i fishing in somebody's backwater like behind them Mm -hmm. and i'm not going to catch any fish because they're a hundred yards in front of me and I don't know it. Yeah. You know, just it like, it becomes not about the, the activity. And I tend to think more about the other people, which, you know, it's something I should probably work on, but it's just part of the equation. For me personally, the thing about public land that's intimidating is the amount of scouting that I would have to do in order to have success there. Cause it's, you know, there can be huge chunks of land and there, if there's deer in there, they're probably frequenting certain spots more than others. And it's to cover, let's say, 2,000 acres of a chunk of property to find that takes a lot of time investment. Yep. And it can totally be worth it. I mean, I know a lot of people that have harvested some huge bucks off of public land, but they probably put in, I don't know, 40 hours of time in the summer and then sat for 80 hours of Sure. tree stand time in the fall to make it happen mm-hmm. so for me that's what's intimidating i don't i don't know if i am willing to give that much time yeah to it because i truth be told i'm i'm not the most efficient land scouter i would need somebody else to go with me to bounce ideas off of in order to feel like i was confident in the places i've chosen to set up a stand mm-hmm well, let's zoom out a little bit to get uh, some people pointed in the right direction um, before we zero in on like specific scouting stuff. We'll just talk specific, like, yeah, generally about kind of what are the types of hunting land in Minnesota. Um, you know, going to the DNR website, they list a variety of state lands, federal lands, and just other properties. Uh, we've got wildlife management areas to hunt, about 1,300 of them. Uh, that's wetlands and uplands or woods. Um, hunter walking trails, walk-in access sites. Um, so the walk-in access is like a, kind of an interesting, uh, opportunity where private landowners, uh, it, you know, involve, um, they basically allow for some access basically, mm-hmm. right? It's private land that they say, well, you know, you can hunt it. It's a, is it a permitting process? Yeah, you have to, t- you, you have, have to, to buy an extra yeah. permit. It's yep. Extra- I don't know, five bucks or something like a, that. A separate designation, but that allows you to hunt on some private lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, state forests, uh, rough grouse management areas, scientific and natural areas, and mm-hmm. forest legacy conservation areas. So there's a bunch of different designations. Uh, I think they all have you know various different rules throughout them, what's, what is legal, what's not legal. So pay attention to that. Um, this is obviously just the state of Minnesota, um, but a lot of states all around the country Every state has public lands of some sort, mm-hmm. um, but they do vary and the rules vary uh, within them. So go to your state's wild, you know, DNR or conservation. What are some of the other? Like what, fish and wildlife. Fish and wildlife. Yeah. Fish and wildlife uh, websites and, and do some digging. Um, it, they should make it pretty obvious for you where to, where to start. Um, and then from there, I guess you can zoom in a little more and, think about more specifics yeah yeah so i guess some of those specific things are um if i'm hunting public land i want to find a chunk of public land that's adjacent to um, agriculture Mm. so is there 
a farmer nearby that's got a cornfield or um, soybean field. Um, that's a you got to go where the food is. That's what the deer are going to do. So if you can find those little chunks of public land that are surrounded or nearby agriculture, it's a good thing as well as water. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna want to find water. So food and water. That's the essentials for deer surviving. So finding those things yeah. in that area. Because like bedding really area, important. that, that change, I mean, that varies. They can bed in a lot of different yeah. types of cover. So Yeah, and that varies by all sorts of things. Time of year, wind direction, temperature. I mean, there's all sorts of things. So I don't really rely on walking around and finding bedding areas because that could have been a bedding area for a south wind on a 60-degree night in June. Yeah, might necessarily might not necessarily translate to when I'm going to be in there in mid September. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I think we've mentioned it a couple times. Onyx Maps uh, is a really great tool to, um, you know, overlay some of these layers. They they actually pull layers from like each state's um, Fish and Wildlife Department DNR. Um, and they, you can overlay like a Google map with public and private boundaries. You get landowner names. Um, so you, and it matches up with your GPS. So you know exactly where you are, where you're standing on public or private. And you can also mark up the maps with different tools and things. And there are some other apps as well besides Onyx, but I happen to have Onyx and it's, uh, kind of, it's definitely a game changer. I think they're, they're kind of taking the hunting world by storm. I use, um, Onyx, and I also use an app called Huntwise. Okay. And Huntwise does the same, has the same basic applications as Onyx. Sure. I would say Onyx is better for topography. And I like Huntwise because um, it allows me to like draw and to like outline things. I can actually manipulate maps by like coloring over things and indicating certain areas where I've marked things and I can also log into it. So if I have a spot where I've marked a stand, I can then go in and say like in this spot, I saw this, 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 yep. this, which yep. is cool. That's sweet. So, um, so public land is one of the, the beautiful gifts of, uh, being an American hunter. Mm-hmm. There's a, or angler or, or anybody. Angler, yeah. Like, I mean, just the fact just, that it's out there. I yeah. Mean, having access to property like that is, is such a privilege that a lot of people don't take advantage of. Yep. And, uh, people don't tend to know they have something until it's gone. Yeah. And that's a real threat right now too. So definitely uh, make sure that you're advocating for your public lands and also using them because they're yours. Yep. You own them. So, yep. It's, it's amazing. Like, uh, you know, we have great state parks in the state of Minnesota mm-hmm. and I think that not so long ago, I thought like state parks were sort of what was in the public domain. Yeah. Like that's about it. Yeah. I was like, Oh, you know, go drive up on the North shore and you go to uh, gooseberry falls and all these awesome little state parks and it's great. It's like, they're amazing. But mm-hmm. There are so many other places like that that's not a state park that you still have access to. It's just like yeah. you have to like look like one extra step. It's it's not you have to do a little bit more digging, but like hardly any. Yeah. Just you have to just know like what's available and as soon as you know that then you go explore. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon you're in some amazing valley somewhere looking around going, "Oh, this is like this is crazy." Like yeah. it may not be a campground with uh nice toilets and pavement everywhere it's quite mm-hmm. the opposite like it's wild untouched. wild only well, not untouched i mean no, there's certainly people in there but seemingly it's un- undeveloped yep yeah so so that so we've touched on obtaining permission from private landowners we've touched on hunting public land and i think the next one that is a really great option is finding those hunts that are available to you that are like you put in for. They're a lottery. So a good example of something that Jake and I both do is something called the MBRB. 
So it's the Metro Bow Hunters Resource Board. Essentially what that is, is in the metro area, the greater Minneapolis-St. Paul area, they have parks. So maybe it's a, like literally a walking path through the woods and there's a playground or baseball fields, soccer fields, but they're wooded areas, mm-hmm. maybe sitting in the middle of um, a, a home development that have uh, an abundance of deer and that the city has complained about cars hitting them frequently. So they have to like staff people to drag roadkill off the road or landowner homeowners that are frustrated with like their hostas and flowers being chewed down. Yep. So what the MBRB does is they draw from this lottery, a group of people to go into those small sections of um, parks. Yeah, public parks. Public parks and hunt there mm-hmm. and try to get some of those deer numbers down. Yep. So. so it's kind of an odd, you know, kind of an odd program because it's really like urban. It's very uh, you're, urban. You're within, you know, uh, people's backyards in a lot of cases. Not within, but, you know, you can see people's backyards in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're... Like Mike said, there's walking paths and all sorts of things. Um, you're right there, right by schools in some cases, like pretty close to some schools. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of like different. But because of that, it's very heavily regulated. Um, in this case, they make you uh, go to a, I think it's like an hour and a half orientation meeting. You have to have your hunter safety. You have uh, to have bow hunter safety. Bow hunter safety as well. Which is an extra step. Yep. Uh, you have to do, you have to go to like, um, there's a variety of locations, but to show a like certified shooting profici- proficiency, mm-hmm. um, to show that you're accurate and that you uh, can make an ethical shot on a deer because they don't want them to run around. Um, so yeah, and, and there's a lot of other rules, like like a, a lot of rules, mm-hmm. uh, but that's good. It keeps people accountable and uh, keeps most people happy. And if we can kind of get in and get out... Um, think that's kind of the state of things right now they want to keep it very low low impact mm-hmm. um just get in and do your thing but there's opportunity there yeah yeah the, and the idea is that you go unnoticed that's what i mean yeah, yeah unnoticed. you don't want you don't want then if you're let's say 100 yards from somebody's house we don't want anybody knowing that you're back there yep because it just leaves too many doors open for like well and it's you know, that's kind of a People sticky situation because it's like it's legal. Um, we've, we're working on behalf in, of the county parks and the city parks, and we have full um, legal right under the state of Minnesota. And like there's every like everything's on the up and up. Yeah. And yet the optics of it seem strange. So people get put off, I think, mm-hmm. um, which is fair, I would say. It's like it's it's odd in some ways, but like. It's just kind of this odd tightrope to walk a little bit where mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you're, you actually are in the right and yet you're viewed as though you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of know what's coming your way, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, cause it's a, it's a definite reality to be hunting in a spot and have people still using those yep. paths and walking right by you. Last year I had numerous people walk by with their dogs and I'd hear, I'd hear leaves, you know, crunching and stuff. And I'd turn thinking a deer was walking and it, no, it'd be a dog. And mm-hmm. then, you know, 10 yards behind is a person. Yeah. Uh, we should mention that the parks do a good job of closing the, like the, the park authorities mm-hmm. do a good job of closing all these areas and posting them that they're closed. And it's actually, I think it's illegal to occupy them when this hunt is going on. Yeah. Um, but you know, people, people don't follow the rules and they do still break it. So yes, it, yeah. you can find yourself in, in these odd positions, but the organization does a really good job of kind of articulating that that's possible and to be aware of and making sure that you're being safe and knowing that that's, uh, you know, that's on the table as being something to, to watch out for. So yeah, yeah. Th- there's a lot of good opportunities. I'm sure there's a lot more um, that we need to continue to figure out. Uh, more more public hunts, more lotteries. I know that in a lot of other like Western states, um, 
there's a lot of lottery hunts that you know are public but they do require some other hoops to jump in um you know and i think they they do that more of like a in terms of like a management system um and for the population of animals there uh but also because it's a lottery and there's less hunters there's less um pressure so yeah you know you could find areas if you don't want to do an over-the-counter tag like uh let's say my elk trip that we did was an over over-the-counter tag area um you know we knew that and we knew that there could be a lot of hunters there are areas where you could choose to do a lottery you may not get drawn Mm -hmm. but if you do there's maybe only a couple other guys yeah in the woods with you and that you got a little more control that's pretty cool too yeah and the the appealing thing for me with the mbrb and with ripley which we'll get to next is that for somebody that doesn't own land it's it's a it's a great resource for me to have access to some spots Mm -hmm. for mbrb um I like that it's literally hunting deer in my backyard. Mm-hmm. You know, last year I got drawn to hunt a um, a section of land that is literally across the street from where I grew up, and I had seen deer in there for so many years, and I was really excited to be able to finally have access to hunt in there. So that's really cool. It's a really different kind of experience. So if you're interested in trying that out, you can go to mbrb.org, sign yourself up, um, get all of your appropriate paperwork, and get yourself ready for next year. There's no no way you can do it this year. Everything's already filled up, but for next year, it's a it's a great organization and it's a cool opportunity to to hunt some spaces that are unavailable to you any other time. Yep. I will say, I'll just add briefly that, you know, if you're going to do that, uh, you got to take it seriously and, you know, do all of the things that they require of you to do and, and know that they're going to keep you accountable. Uh, they want you to show up and, um, it's not something to do sort of passively Mm -hmm. when you sign up, you've, you've got to commit to it. And, uh, yeah, I'll just say that. So then with Ripley, for example, another lottery type hunt. Um, and as Jake mentioned before, it's not really a lottery. I mean, it, it's a lottery, but I wish every other lottery was like that. I mean, you always are drawn. Um, as of 2019. As of, <laughs> as of, yeah, I think the last three years have been like that. I know that like the late 90s, early to mid 2000s was like the heyday of Ripley. That's when... I think they allow like 2,000 hunters, but they would have 10,000 people apply and they're coming from all over the United States to hunt this section of property. And for various reasons, I mean, there's a lot of things that have been vilified as the reason for the numbers going down of big bucks being harvested. You know, I've heard like the wolves, there's there's a couple packs of wolves in there that have decimated the population and the there's bears and it, or just the mismanagement from the DNR or the Minnesota Bow Hunters Association. I mean, there's all sorts of people or animals or what have you that have been kind of blamed for the, the decline in harvest numbers. But if you look at the percentages, the harvest rate has stayed at 10% throughout all those years. Mm. So let's say you have 2,000 hunters in there. Typically, then you have 200 to 225 deer that are harvested that weekend. So you got about a 10% chance, um, which has stayed the same every every year that I've looked at the data. Hmm. And quite honestly, I've, I've been doing it for 10 years, 12 maybe, somewhere in there. The last two or three years, I've seen more deer than ever before Hmm. so it's just i don't think that the issue is that there's less deer there the size of them has decreased i think it's just there's a misunderstanding of what's going on yeah so um now is a great time to buy those tag you can get a ripley tag over the counter you can't anymore but if that happens next year buying one over the counter or just putting your name in the lottery it's a good way to build up preference because as word starts getting out again that Ripley is producing some 
high quality deer and in high numbers, you want to have those preference points built up for when it becomes a lottery again, because that ensures that you keep going back every year. Yeah. So, um, so Camp Ripley, it's, this is a completely different style of hunt than anywhere else I've ever hunted. Like I said, it's, it's busy for 53,000 acres, about 2000 hunters. You running it, you're running into people. Yeah. I mean, um, and you're seeing a lot of tail lights and headlights and you're hearing a lot of people coughing and talking, talking. and slamming car doors and, um, it, it kind of reminds me of like, I guess the analogy that I would take is when you're parked outside, you can't get into the woods, you can't scout it. So that's one challenge that I would like to talk about, but you're blocked off from getting into the woods, um, both nights. And so the morning of, let's say Saturday morning, that gate opens and they check permits and stuff. And the cars are all lined up for, let's say a mile to get in there. It reminds me a little bit of like what you'd see, like the mad rush at a black Friday sale. Yeah. It's like people waiting at the door for their sale on this big screen TV and like trampling over each other and, you know, kind of a dog eat dog kind of attitude. And I, I'm, I don't really like that aspect of it because I don't like hunting to be kind of like an anxiety inducing situation. Yeah. Um, but it's the same feeling I was talking about with the trout yeah, stream. It's like, right. you, you, you know, that there's guys going to the spots you want to go to. So you want to beat them to it. Yeah. And it is like a weird competitiveness, which is odd in the, in the, you know, in the activity that we're talking about, like it's weird to be competitive about it. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely an anxiety, but sorry to interrupt. Yeah, that's fine. So the, I guess those are the kind of the challenges it poses. The first one being that you can't walk it and scout it. So it requires you to do all your scouting by map. Um, so I can talk about what I'm looking for in those cases. And I, it kind of applies to, uh, heavily pressured public land as well. So if I'm looking at a map from above, let's say Google Maps, and I pull up that chunk of property. I mentioned before I'm looking for agriculture. Ripley doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. But what I am looking for is one, water is important. And two, there's a lot of areas in Ripley that are off limits because you know, maybe that's like their shooting range or maybe there's, I don't know, a tank trail or a a minefield. I don't know what's going on back there, but there's a lot of places you have no access to. And that's kind of the areas where the deer run to when they feel that pressure. Cause it's quite obvious to the deer. I'm sure when they're seeing a thousand cars coming in, headlights shining, something's going on. Mm-hmm. So they're bailing. Um, so what I do is try to find those places that are close to the off limits areas that I feel like with all of the foot traffic and car traffic, when those deer are pushed, they're going to run through my area, hopefully slow down before they exit. So, um, for example, that place where we had shared that story of Jake's buck being shot a couple years ago, yep. I'd, I had found that spot, and I picked that spot because it's a big chunk of oak trees, and then across the street there's a wetland, and a wetland and then like a v-shaped wooded area that comes out of it so it's a very narrow access point so if the deer are coming out of the big woods crossing the dirt road they've got about a 50 yard stretch of woods to enter in so it's kind of kind of funnel deer into that mm-hmm. spot so that's kind of what i'm looking for and that's where i plan to find either that same spot or a similar looking spot while in there yep and then the other key is to stay in your stand all day because people get down to, you know, tip like nine and ten o'clock, you start hearing people getting down and talking and having a chit chat and a coffee by their trucks, and that moves deer. So stay in your stand. Yep. So. Yeah, it's a it's a wild and crazy event. It's like a I could see that a lot of people might get turned off by it, um, just because of the fact that there's so many. So many other hunters in the woods, uh, the deer are behaving a little differently than they might under normal circumstances. Um, and yet it's a, it's a fun opportunity. Uh, it's, there's a potential for 
really big deer, mm-hmm. exciting opportunity to be there. The first year uh, I was there, within a half hour, I had seen the biggest deer that I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Came trotting by at like 30 yards. Man. You know, it's just, that's what's so cool about it. You know, you hear a crunch of some leaves in the, you know, off in the distance. That could be the deer of your lifetime. And that's a real possibility, which is what makes it so cool. I'm excited. <laughs> really? You, you just really, got me jacked. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, and I don't have access to property that has that kind of genetics. Sure. Or any you know? property. I mean, yeah, it's just like you may not have any access to any property. And there are places out there where I think it's about reframing the whole concept in your brain. It's like you do have access to property. Mm-hmm. There's lots of access to properties to hunt. Um, you just might not have a private, a private local, you know, curated hunt that you can manage the whole thing. It's like, right. well, you, you got to go work for it. Um, yeah. But sometimes the best rewards out there are things you got to work for. So. Right. And in those cases, or in the same applies to a public land hunt, the year that you're going to need, you're, you're doing what we call a hang and hunt. So you've got your portable stand on your back or a saddle as Jake and my brother Derek are going to be using this year. We'll talk about um, that probably in another episode. Um, but you've got your climbing sticks, you've got your bow, you've got your stand on your back, you've got all your gear and you're walking into the woods, mm-hmm. finding a tree, setting up and waiting for the sun to come up. Yep. And there you can move if you get, a, you know, sun comes up and you're not in the spot you thought you could be, you want it to be, you can move. But having a having light equipment is going to help you be more mobile, which has uh, a lot of advantages. Yep, yep. Um, cool. Well, I think I'm excited, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm. We got. Let's see. Tonight, tomorrow, three more sleeps, three or four more yeah. sleeps. I think I'm going to come pick you up on Friday at like six a.m. Mm-hmm. We're going to go Have get coffee up there and donuts. Early. Yeah, it's. That's uh, that's what it's all about. The stories yep. and hanging out with your friends and doing things that you um, share a passion for. And yep. um, that's that's a lot of the reason why I do it. And I mentioned in the previous podcast that's that's like my deer camp. It's where I see my my closest family members and my best friends, and we hang out and talk hunting. And yeah, that's something that I've learned. Uh, you know, through my uh, introduction to hunting and fishing is that the camps and the history mean so much to people. They mean more than, you know, than the actual hunting, uh, I think in a lot of cases. And this is for sure. It seems like you've got your Canada trip where you go fishing, mm-hmm. um, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into in the spring and summer, if not before. And, uh, you've got Ripley, which is another like communal, um, place to share stories and have history from. Mm-hmm. So that, that's your deer camp. And, uh, we're going to try to do something a little differently next week. We're going to, we're going to bring you to deer camp, all you listeners. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do kind of a live, um, in the tent round the fire type of, a, a podcast. So we're going to see how that goes. we got some, some old timers who will hopefully share us some of their cool stories and, yeah. uh, some newbies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we'll go find some uh some strangers and poke a microphone in their face and see what they have to say yeah. about the whole thing <laughs> yeah people are more than willing i mean in that setting at ripley people are more than willing to tell stories yep yeah i mean they're uh pretty friendly yep everybody's excited. sometimes a little too friendly yeah <laughs> yeah um so just to set the stage a little bit um we're gonna be podcasting from a yurt mm-hmm. so um which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. That'll be cool. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, around the wood stove, we'll probably have some some uh, hot foods. Some, I don't know what we're going to do. we got to decide all that. Some chili or something mm-hmm. nice. I mean, it, the weather's supposed to be good, but it is late October in Minnesota. It could be, could be chilly. Yeah, it snowed, uh, it snowed in the past. Yep, yep, exactly. So, um, yeah, I'm going to bundle up and get cozy. Yeah, I can't <laughs> wait. So... Hopefully, for the listeners, it'll be a chance for you to kind of experience the the appeal of 
what hunting can bring. Mm -hmm. And that's like sitting around and telling stories and having some fun. Painting that picture a little bit, I think, is going to be a pretty cool way to get first-timers introduced to something like that. And then hopefully next year we've got a whole group of new people that wanted to give it a try for themselves. For It'd sure. be kind of a fun thing. Maybe we'll talk about that. For sure. For get sure. a Ripley group of newcomers Ooh, I like for it. next year. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, sticking with us for another episode. Um, like we said, stay tuned for next week and uh, check out our Instagram, First Time Outdoors. Hopefully we'll do some uh, kind of behind-the-scenes stories and whatnot of uh, our time up at Ripley. Yeah. So uh, until next time, uh, take care. Thanks for listening.